Welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on how Buffy has matured since its premiere in 1997. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. All right, welcome everybody. This is season one, episode three, Witch. Not the witch, just witch. (laughs) Okay, sorry, before we get into it, I just want to say... Uh, I always remembered this episode very fondly, but this time around, for some reason, I don't know if I just felt a little more judgmental when I was doing, when I was watching it, but I cringed a lot more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, I, I didn't cringe more for this one, um, but I do, it is a lot campier and a lot cheesier than I remember. Yeah. Yeah. That was it for me. So. It'll be interesting to see as as we unpack this, like, what is it that's making it feel campier than we tend to remember? Because I just, I love yeah. the structure of this episode. I, I love the story to it and what we learn about our characters. But the episode as a whole, I didn't enjoy as much as I remember enjoying in the past. I mean, this is interesting because if you feeling like you didn't uh, relate to it as you used to, I feel like I got a lot more out of it this watch than I ever have before, where okay. I would watch it and be like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. But now I'm kind of like, oh, this, and oh, that, and that was interesting, you know? So I guess we'll have to see how how we take it. As All we right, go. let's do it. So I even in the very first, like, opening scene, we kind of get to this whole, you know, campy, cheesy uh, atmosphere around this episode. So we are we open up in the in the library. And Giles is pissed. Like he is ranting and raving. He's like, "This is madness. Like lives depend on you. Uh, I make allowances for your youth, but instead you enslave yourself to this cult." And you're like, "What is going on?" It pans out, and we look at Buffy, and Buffy's wearing a cheerleader outfit, and it's super '90s looking. And uh, she basically she just wants to try out for cheerleading, and this tracks because in the pilot episode. She basically just wants to have a normal teenager experience. She she literally says in this scene, I just want to have a normal life. Like, I will kill vampires and stuff, but I also want to have a normal life. So the show <laughs> yeah. could not be more obvious about the conflict that it's setting up for us with Buffy and her life as a teenager versus being the Slayer. And how Giles hates it because he's like, I'm your watcher, damn it. Like, <laughs> I'm the man in charge of you. Therefore, you'll do as I say. Like, Yeah, he, he literally says, yeah, he says, as your watcher, I forbid it. Which, <laughs> again, like, this is just so endearing to me. The way that Giles mm-hmm. thinks he's in charge. Giles is yes. so not in charge. No. And Buffy knows it. And Buffy says, like, what are you going to do to stop me? Like, how are you going to stop me? You can't. <laughs> Um, but Buffy says she'll make time for both and we'll see as the episode goes on if she's able to, you know, do that. So we pan into this weird room. It's dark. There are dolls all over the walls, which I, you know, low-key love because I love spooky dolls. Uh, there's a cauldron with what looks like pea soup in it. (laughs) 
And there's a talisman. There's like a lot of like herbs and stuff. It's like, I mean, it's very, very witchy as you as yes. the title would make us assume it's a it's a witch's brew and i love that this we cut to the scene right after buffy says she wants a normal life yeah. just the the editing is mm, chef's kiss <laughs> on that like yeah again yeah. could it be any less subtle that no buffy you're not gonna get a normal life uh we cut to the gym where gymnastic tryouts are happening and these girls are athletic like they're doing handstands they're doing cartwheels they're doing stretches. They're doing all a bunch of stuff. Uh, I personally love nothing more than a good tryout scene in a movie or a TV show. Like, bring it on. Engrave that in me. Like, the very popular cheerleading movie of the 1990s. But I will say that uh, my experience with cheerleaders when I was in high school was that they're mostly dancers. And these cheerleaders in this tryout scene are extreme gymnasts. Like, they look like really good at what they're doing. It's like an elite team in Sunnydale. Xander, Willow, and Buffy enter the gym. And Buffy mentions that they haven't seen a vampire in over a week, which is great. But that's when Xander chooses to ogle the girls. And he's like, ooh, stretchy. And I get it. Like, he's a teen boy. And teen boys admire teen girls' bodies. Like, I get that. But I just, it just reminds me, like, how super uncomfortable it is to be a girl not just in high school, but in general, where like, like you can't even try out for a school sport without someone's male gaze eyeing you up and then like going two feet away from you being like, ooh, stretchy. Absolutely. <laughs> like, super, super inappropriate, Xander, once again. So this is why I love that Willow then calls Xander on his pervy bullshit, right? And, and I love that she has that role in, in this scene. And yep. I agree with you because... It brings to mind this whole idea of like the way, especially in the U.S. and Canada, kind of by extension, that so many of our sports are gender segregated, right? And it's like, yes, you occasionally have male cheerleaders, but it's so much less common. Did we see any male cheerleaders in this episode? No. So it's interesting that cheerleading is such a, it's a sport that is very associated with being a woman and but it's also associated with the male gaze because it's like you're supposed to look good while you cheerlead which is also why you know in the stereotype of cheerleading is that the popular good-looking girls go to be cheerleaders because that's exactly it like people look at them and that you want to be attracted to your cheerleaders speaking of the popular good-looking girls who's also in this scene well, no one else would be there except for Cordelia, who's obviously trying out to be a cheerleader. And what's interesting, actually, first is that Xander gives Buffy a bracelet. And it oh, says, yeah. yours always on it. And Buffy shows, once again, zero interest in this. She's just like, oh, okay, great, thanks. I just had to point that out because that's important later in the episode. Mm-hmm. But also just shows, once again, that Xander's trying to make this moment about him and not being a supportive friend to Buffy, whose mind is on her audition or her tryout. So Cordelia walks up to Willow and says, who does she think she is? Who does she think she's a Laker girl? And she's referring to this, this cheerleader named Amber, who's a very good cheerleader. And two weird things about this is, A, Cordelia's talking to Willow. <laughs> and B, um, I know that Charisma Carpenter, who plays Cordelia, used to be a cheerleader for the San Diego Chargers football team. I didn't know that. Yeah, she did that before she got... Uh, before she got into acting and before she uh, auditioned to be on Buffy. So 
listeners won't know this, but we're recording this in early February and Charisma Carpenter just put out her article about Joss Whedon and the abuse that she suffered on set. And this is just, it was just the timing kind of lined up for this because I was like, that's a weird joke or a weird dig at the Laker girl, knowing that she also used to be a cheerleader for a football team. And Charisma's article about Joss was kind of like, was Joss making fun of her and then made her say the line? Like, mm. I don't know. Like, it was, it was kind of like a tie in there for me where I was like, it could have well, been a crossover from real life. And also the outfit that they put her in, right? Yes, exactly. Like, every, everybody else is wearing fairly normal high school clothing and she's got like a sports bra on and it's like gym chic and it's like would you get away with that in high school i don't know it is a fantastic sports bra i will add it's got stars on that it. oh it's that really that's cool. i totally agree i dig the outfit i'm just like it's interesting that cordelia got singled out that way right yes exactly uh this amber girl starts to do her tryout and at the same time we meet another girl named amy And right away, we learn that Amy lost a lot of weight, (laughs) that she hates trying out for cheerleading, but uh, she's done a lot Mm -hmm. of training for this tryout. So we learn all that about her right away while she talks to Willow and Buffy. Amber's doing her her routine, and it's absolutely hilarious. (laughs) But then suddenly, her hands burst into fire. Like, they catch fire. And everyone's, like, freaked out, and Buffy's the only one that does anything to help. She grabs a flag or something from the wall and um, covers her out, puts the fire out and we, we go to the opening credits. Mm -hmm. So this is awful. Like this is awful. Like her hands caught on fire, like probably like third degree burns. So something, something witchy is happening in, in Sunnydale. And then we open up in the library and obviously the gang is there, uh, Xander, Willow and Giles and Buffy. And they're discussing what uh, the human combustion that they just witnessed and Giles is kind of actually into it. He's like, you know, that's the thrill of living on the Hellmouth. Like, you never know what you're going to get. And I'm actually with Giles on that. Like, that, this is very interesting. Like, it's, like, interesting stuff. I, I do like that three episodes in, we are already branching out beyond vampires. And it's establishing that Sunnydale is not just, okay, there's a bunch of vampires. Buffy just has to kill vampires every night. It's the vampire activity ebbs and flows. And... We already knew that we were going to face other supernatural things, but I like that the show is like, yes, episode three, here's a different supernatural threat. It's nice. We're not going to get bored of the vampires anytime soon. We'll keep you on your toes is what they're saying. And just as they do that to us, uh, it keeps Buffy and her friends on their toes. And Willow's like, I'm going to go hack into the school's database to learn more about Amber, find out if she's like, you know, usually burst into flame. Why would that be in her school record? I don't know. And I, I think it's just, once again, the scene kind of just sets up that, like, Buffy is a slayer, and these guys are her slayerettes, as they call themselves. Uh, <laughs> and it is interesting to me also how, like, Giles is very okay with them helping. Yes. And we'll learn as we watch the show, and as the lore unfolds, do all the slayers have helpers, or is it usually just the slayer and the watcher? Either way, Giles is okay with them being well, and helping. I think I alluded to this in a, in a previous episode, but... Giles is all alone, right? Like, I feel like normally the Watchers get a little bit more backup than he gets. Maybe he's just kind of going with it because he's like, oh, good, you know, I've got some help, especially because Buffy turned out to be so different from what he was expecting from his charge, right? So yeah, it's almost like he's 
using Willow and Xander as this bridge between him and Buffy when it comes to things like research. You know, Willow can help do like the computer stuff, the hacking stuff that maybe he's not as good at. And also, it's nice to have if, if it were just him and Buffy, I think the dynamic would be so different and they would just be bantering so much that nothing would ever get done. It's nice to have a few more people around. Yeah. And also, like we said earlier, like, can he really control them not being there? <laughs> like, he doesn't have any control of Buffy. If Buffy wants them there, I guess they're there, right? So before we move on, I just want to say, uh, I also enjoyed one of Xander's lines where he says, I laugh in the face of danger, then I hide until it goes away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this yeah. is this is one of the few parts of the episode where I enjoyed Xander this episode because mm-hmm. he's not super focused on perving on girls or Buffy in particular. And it shows the self-deprecating side of his character, right? He is very much aware that he isn't super powered. He do- he's not the slayer. But he's adding some levity to the situation. And I think that's so important, especially as the show goes on, because they're dealing with dark stuff. Like you just said, a girl's hands burst into flames. This is dark shit. So Xander's serving an important purpose here. Comic relief. (laughs) Exactly. As he should be. As he sh- and that's what he should play. Like we don't want to see scummy creeping up on teen girl Xander. Like I want to see like this. Yeah, this funny Xander who's got something important to bring and which is his humor, and he lightens the load. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in Buffy's kitchen, and her mom is opening a box for the tribal art display that she's running at the art gallery. And I also want to add that I love that she works in an art gallery because that's where you and I met. Yeah, <laughs> although I don't ever recall them sending priceless artifacts to our houses for us to unpack at our houses. So yeah, what's up with that? Why wasn't this stuff sent to the gallery? <laughs> well, I would like to think that it's because all the vampires in the town, you know, like if we send it to your house, you can <laughs> no one can go into your house unless you invite them in where at the art gallery, they can just walk right in. So I would just feel safer working at home. That's fair. Mind you, obviously her mom doesn't know about the vampires, but I'm just saying there's a reason. Maybe there's a reason. I don't know. But you're right. We weren't allowed to bring the art home, weirdly enough. <laughs> um, Buffy's trying to talk about her tryout. Her mom's kind of really distracted by the work and she's not focusing on Buffy, even to the point where she can't open a box and she's like, Buffy, you try. Buffy just like, you know, opens it no problem. Her mom doesn't even notice that she's got super strength. That's how distracted her mother is. And... um. She does say something pretty unfair, Buffy's mom. She says when she when she tunes in and hears that Buffy's trying out to be a cheerleader, she says like, oh, good, that'll keep you out of trouble. So once again, referencing Buffy's life before she came to Sunnydale, that she was, you know, a troubled kid that got kicked out of school. I don't know. I just think that's a low blow. I also think that this scene is important because when Buffy's mom isn't paying attention and doesn't really hear what Buffy's saying, you can see the disappointment on Buffy's face. Um, yes. And, and she talks about how Amy's mom practices with her for like hours at night. And Buffy's mom just kind of like says, oh, I, I guess that means she doesn't have much to do. And you can see Buffy's expression. And it's like she wants to spend more time with her mom, which is really sweet. But her mom doesn't seem to be picking up on that. <laughs> at all. I mean, Buffy also would probably want nothing more than to share her Slayer life with her mother to like have somebody like her mother to talk to about Mm -hmm. it, but she can't. So maybe cheerleading is something that they can bond over. But once again, like her mom's not really paying attention to her and it's not a good look for her mom. Back in the gym, 
we see more of the tryouts and the cheerleaders are doing another hilarious cheer and Amy and I believe Buffy is in the back and Cordelia is in the front and they do cartwheels and Amy knocks Cordelia over and Cordelia is like you did that was her fault like you see it like she kind of like covers it up and I think it's well funny so she says you saw that right that was her fault (laughs) that wasn't me you saw that right and then she pauses and she turns again and she says right and that pause and that last right kills me every time and and I (laughs) want to believe that was ad-libbed by Charisma Carpenter because it's just it's so Cordelia the way she was desperate Yes, desperate and just so laser focused on how she looked. And she doesn't care about the team. She just cares about getting on the team. Yes. Uh, Then we cut to the outside in the hallway and Amy is looking at the trophy case uh, that has all this cheerleader memorabilia pictures and ribbons and stuff that the school has won in the past. Uh, she's looking really sad because obviously she screwed up in the tryout and Buffy's there with her and she's like, oh, look, Buffy, this is my mom. Uh, they call her Catherine the Great. She was the greatest cheerleader uh, Sunnydale's ever seen and she was a homecoming queen and she married her father right after high school. And she tells her this whole story about how her mother it was obviously Susie High School and clearly Amy is not. And her parents have divorced now. And obviously Amy's under a lot of pressure to be great like her mother, particularly at this one sport. I'm going to come right out and say this is abusive parenting. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And I'll come right out and say a lot of sports are toxic. (laughs) Absolutely. A lot of competitive sports are toxic, not just for the players and their coaches and the way it's run, but by the parents who put pressure on their kids to be excellent. Mm-hmm. it's crazy we also had a little bit of bonding between amy and buffy because buffy confirms for us that her parents are in fact separated and she kind of relates yeah. to amy on that level so lots of exposition then, you know it, it is nice that buffy's there to listen to her and then also be like yeah same and they both are kind of like yeah it sucks to have divorced parents but you know what you're gonna do uh willow comes over once amy leaves and talking is talking to buffy about amy's mother and uh, they refer to her as Mommy Dearest and a Nazi. And uh, apparently, like, if Amy was gaining weight, her mother would lock the fridge and Amy would go over to Willow's house to eat. <laughs> I'm like, so, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Again, that's terrible. More abusive parenting, disordered oh. eating. I mean, I feel sorry for Amy and for, you know, anybody who develops those kinds of disorders as a result of the unrealistic expectations put on them by their parents, by their peers, by their society, like, oh. And I will just say this now, like, if you're a mother and you're listening to this, like, never, ever comment on your daughter's body. Like, it's just not a good idea. And, uh, yeah, so we're obviously made to feel bad for Amy, and we do. I feel awful for her. I understand the pressure she's under, and I understand her feeling of inadequacy, especially when she looks at this trophy case, and there's her mother and all her accomplishments. So in in other news, Willow has looked up Amber's information and she has nothing odd about her, like nothing about her that would make her appear to have her hands catch on fire for no reason. Can I just register a complaint? I think it was a mistake for them to name a character Amy and another character Amber, especially two characters who are supposed to be cheerleaders, because I don't know about you, but maybe there are some listeners out there who will agree with me. When you have characters with similar sounding names, it can be hard to keep them apart in my head. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure they kind of look alike. And there's just, <laughs> yeah, 
I, I completely agree. Uh, could we not have named one of them Dolores or something like that, you know? Perfect. <laughs> something to think about. We cut to the locker room, uh, the very locker room where a dead body was found, I would say, two weeks before <laughs> at Sunnydale High. Um, but Amy is changing, and Cordelia comes up behind her and basically threatens her. She's like, you know, you'll be sorry if I don't get on the team. And she aggressively slams a locker door. She's a straight up bully. Yeah, she's like doing her best Joss Whedon impression. Like she's... (laughs) Shots fired, I love it. She is bullying her. And um, I think it's also supposed to be that, okay, oh, Cordelia is really intense about cheerleading. Could she be behind this witchy stuff, right? Oh, interesting. Okay, I... I didn't pick up on that at all, but I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, just like we don't know who's got those witchy dolls, but Cordelia is the only one obsessed with cheerleading at the moment. So right. our list of suspects is growing. So we cut to the quad. Willow and Xander are talking about Xander's favorite topic, which is Buffy. And he asks Willow if Buffy was wearing the bracelet. And it's really, really troubling because he says... If she's wearing the bracelet, it's kind of like we're going out. <laughs> and I had to pause right there and I wrote some notes about that because I was like, <sighs> no, Xander, that is not how consent works. That is not how relationships get started. What you are saying by saying that is that when a nice guy, a quote, nice guy, gives you a gift that doesn't mean that it's a down payment for sex or or to be with her or mm-hmm. to have her in any way. Buffy did not ask for this gift. Buffy does not want the gift, but she said she accepted it because if she doesn't accept it, she's a bitch, according to society, or she's rude. Yeah. Right? And she also doesn't want to hurt your feelings because God forbid your feelings get hurt. So she's accepted it. That does not make it a sex contract it does not make it a relationship contract like you you're not dating if she's wearing the bracelet you gave her i'm also really uncomfortable that the episode spends so much time focusing on xander's interest in buffy from his point of view from a very sympathetic point of view for him and i don't mind that they did that but they don't really spend much time giving us buffy's perspective um we get a little bit later on in the episode we'll talk about that soon but even when she gives us that perspective she's technically under the influence of something and so (laughs) it's like that's also kind of like weird so there's this imbalance in terms of how xander's interest in buffy is being portrayed right now and i don't like it well i don't like it either and it And it's like you said, like from what we can tell in the two and a half episodes of Buffy that we've seen now, Buffy doesn't think anything of Xander. Yeah. Xander is like a little puppy dog that followed her into the tunnels one day. And I think she appreciates having him as a friend. And he brings that, like we said earlier, that lightheartedness to the group. But no, Xander, like you're just because you got her this bracelet doesn't mean that you're going out. It doesn't mean that she owes you anything. I also, have... where's Angel? Where's our handsome, <laughs> handsome Angel man? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, Dow girl. Um, sorry, sorry. I have here in my notes, Xander, stop being creepy and gross. So if any of our listeners would like to cut that clip of me just say- saying that and like auto-tune the hell out of it and turn it into a little <laughs> bit of a, a catchy jingle, we'll play that in one of our future episodes because 
I feel like this is just a phrase that Xander needs to hear over and over. Yes, please ease up. Stop being a creep. And Willow... like basically says the same thing and she's like you know like you actually have to ask her out otherwise you're not gonna know you know like you have to use your words Xander not your leers not your weird gift contracts like use your words and uh, then Xander says oh Willow that's why I like you you're like a guy just friend zoning her so hard and Willow is so upset by that as she should be and Ugh, and Xander, so, like, just, ugh. I have a lot of thoughts on this because I, I hate the term friend zone, but I mm-hmm. actually agree that that's what's happening here. I want to oh, yeah. have a conversation oh, yeah. about friend zoning, but I want to wait until a bit later in the episode because this is going to come back. So yes, we'll, yes, we'll put a pin in that one for now. So the cheerleading list is up. Xander, for whatever reason, jumps to the front, maybe to impress Buffy. I don't know what he did, but he runs to the front to, of all these excited girls to find out who made the cut. We learn that Cordelia has made the team, which she says, you know, lucky for you, Amy. And she walks by like, you know, now I don't have to murder you, I guess. <laughs> and um, Xander comes and tells Buffy and Amy that they're alternates, which is uh, upsetting to Amy, who leaves. And Willow explains that alternates on the team means you didn't make the team, but you step in if another cheerleader, I don't know, bursts into flames or like can't can't make it to the game. Or is murdered at the bronze or something in Sunnydale. So I have a question. And my question is, how did Buffy not make this cheerleading team? She is an Olympic gymnast and the strongest woman alive. And I just want to know how she <laughs> didn't make it on. Uh, I think part of it was she was a little bit freaked out about what was going on. Maybe she's a bit off her game. I also think from what we've seen so far, her slayer abilities, if you will, aren't completely under her control at least not yet it seems like a lot of it is instinctive it's kind of like fight or flight if the adrenaline's going um so like yes she's naturally a little bit better of an athlete but maybe not enough especially in like a team situation right it's one thing to shine on your own but it's another thing to work well with others in a coordinated gymnastic movement like cheerleading So I think it's possible that even though Buffy shines by herself, she didn't quite make the cut for the team. (laughs) Aw, you should have been her mom. That's exactly (laughs) what her mom should have said to her. (laughs) I mean, my my alternate theory is it was fixed. How else did Cordelia Uh, get on the team? (laughs) That's true. And I mean, if if it is, you know high school cliches then the popular girls are on the cheerleading team and Buffy has already established that she's not popular so Buffy catches up to Amy and basically Amy is just really really worried about what her mother will say about this new failure uh we cut to this really spooky looking house and uh looks like we're going into the attic and oh hey there's where all the dolls are where all the spooky gargoyles and witches brew stuff is a woman is there doing a spell and she's wrapping a scarf around a doll that looks an awful lot like Cordelia. Mm-hmm. And after she wraps it around her head, she throws the doll into the cauldron. So I guess we'll find out what that means. The next morning, we're back in Buffy's kitchen and her mom is asking her, like, why don't you join the yearbooks, the yearbooks team or yearbook committee? And I think this is interesting because obviously Buffy probably said she didn't make the cheerleading team. So she's like, well, why don't you try this? Like maybe making a little bit more of an effort than the day before. 
to be interested in Buffy's new life in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. And Buffy says the yearbook committee is for nerds. And this kind of like hurts her mom's feelings. So she starts lashing out a bit and is like, you know, once again, brings up the fact that Buffy got kicked out of her old school, which is why they're in Sunnydale. And um, look, like, first off, first off, I would join the yearbook committee. I think that sounds fun. I like scrapbooking, like nothing wrong with that. Number two, I'm not a mom and I don't know how to parent a teenager, a teenage girl such as Buffy. But, like, I know you shouldn't keep bringing up her past transgressions. Especially when the episode before, you gave this whole speech, this whole talk about how it's a fresh start, new steps, new beginnings. So if you keep bringing up things that they failed at in the past, that's not building an open relationship. That's not building a trust between the two of you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I get that her mom is navigating single parenthood because obviously they, she just got a divorce as well. And, and that's really tough. But I just feel like there, there's more support here that she could have given Buffy than yeah. just keep bringing up this past. Well, and I think that just shows how for season one, it seems like Buffy's mom is not written in the deepest way they could have. I think I think her role gets better as the series goes on. But for season one, it seems like she has her moments, but in a lot of episodes, especially this one, she's just kind of treated as that semi-clueless parent of a teenager to allow us to see how Buffy has to balance the responsibility of being a slayer with her desire to be a carefree teenage girl. Yeah. I mean, to give her credit, Buffy's mom does does become aware of this after Buffy like leaves very hurt. Uh, she's just like, oh, great parenting form. Like, oh, a little shaky on the dismount. Like, you know, she makes a little comment. So, like, you know, she's she's navigating her way. And uh, we'll see more of her in a little bit. Um, we're at school. Cordelia's walking around like she's in a trance. And I wonder why. Like, who can say? Willow and Xander notice this. But, of course, Xander makes it all about himself again. Um, he's basically like, oh, Cordelia, you haven't been mean to me all day. Like, <laughs> just this guy and then he brings it back to Buffy once again and is lamenting that Buffy doesn't think of him as a boyfriend and it's like once again Xander like why would she why would she think of you that way so he's gonna take Will's advice and ask her out and Willow actually kind of like backtracks on that she's like oh maybe you shouldn't because we know that Willow has a crush on Xander yeah and Xander makes another really inappropriate joke about you know taking pictures outside her bedroom outside Buffy's bedroom and once again, like like you said earlier, like stop being creepy. Like, what are you channeling Jesse's ghost? Like, stop being creepy. <laughs> I just I feel sorry that Xander's being characterized as a pervy teenage boy, right? Like, we it would be one thing if he just made a pervy comment here or there. We get it. He's a teenage boy. He's got hormones going. He's attracted to Buffy, but they're hammering it so hard in this episode, and. That's what bothers me because I want to like Xander as a character. Like I said earlier, he has a sense of humor. He can be self-deprecating. He brings great qualities to this dynamic. So it's so unfortunate that this episode casts him in this light because it's sabotaging my desire to like him. And I, and I agree with you. And I And I liked Xander so much in the past. In my past viewings of Buffy, Xander was always, like, up there 
and one of the best characters for me. Yeah. And I just hate this is episode three. And like, I just I, I'm just ragging on him so hard. But he brings it upon himself with all these awful things that he's saying about yep. women. <laughs> Um, and I guess, like, you know, like, uh, maybe we should stop saying, oh, he's a teen boy. Like, the bar is so low. You know what I mean? Like, well, we that's, just stop. That's exactly what I mean, is I don't yeah. want to let him off the hook by just being like, oh, they're showing him as a horny teenage boy. Like, it's yeah. one thing to have him embody some elements of that behavior, right? I think it's fine if they want to show him having a crush on Buffy. But the fact that they've turned it into his entire character for this episode is so problematic. Yeah. Yes. And um, Buffy comes up and notices that Cordelia is also kind of out of it. And Xander chooses this moment to ask her out on Friday. But Buffy is so distracted by her concern for Cordelia and the fact that there's something screwy going on in this high school and a girl burst into fire (laughs) the day before that she doesn't even notice that he asks her. So she like kind of like pieces out without even answering him. And I feel no sympathy uh, for him. Yeah, but I think we're supposed to. It's actually, he bombs so bad that he actually makes a bomb noise, which is actually quite funny. <laughs> Where he's like, Meow, like yeah. whatever. Um, I, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like, are we supposed to feel bad for him? Because I don't. No. I love how Buffy is observant in this instance as well. Like, she's observant in general. I think that's one of her greatest heroic attributes in addition to her slayer powers is she really notices things she's noticing that cordelia is acting strange Mm -hmm. and like you said i do believe she's motivated by concern even though cordelia has been rude to her and her friends in the past that's not going to stop buffy from investigating what's going on yeah also like xander if you're feeling rejected that's not like buffy is doing her job it's her job as a slayer to, you know, see this, the, what's going on and what's the trouble. And you're upset that she ignored you? I mean, he's, <laughs> coming, he's coming very close, right, to sexual harassment in the workplace <laughs> at this point, right? Like, Buffy's trying yes. to do her job and he's interfering with that. <laughs> That's why they killed Jesse in episode two, because they're like, there's only one person who can sexually harass women in this school. Okay, so we're outside and Cordelia is taking her driver's test in the parking lot, which I see a lot in movies and TV. And uh, that just wasn't the case where we grew up. Oh, yeah. So the whole idea of a driver's ed as a class is such an American thing to me. I don't know if in other parts of Canada it's a thing, but where we grew up in Thunder Bay, we had to take driving school as this whole separate thing outside of high school. We, you know, the tests are provincially run and stuff. Um, so, so I noticed that it's just driver's ed is such a stereotype of American t- culture and TV. So we learned that Cordelia's flunked it twice. So she gets in with the instructor, but she is still really dazed. Like she's out of it. They get into the car and she starts driving just wildly, just like backs up really quickly, goes forward, goes through a fence, um, can't find the brakes. Like there's a lot of stuff going on with this, with this right. so, um, car. So pause, teacher comment here as a, as a teacher myself. This teacher is the worst. She okay. literally told him, I don't want to drive today. Yeah. She told him that she doesn't feel ready to do this, to operate a vehicle that can reach high speeds. But he tells her to do it anyway. Any appropriate teacher would say, you don't want to drive today, fine. Because I am not going to put myself and you 
and other students at risk if you don't feel 100% confident of being behind that wheel. But this teacher is just like, ah, well, you've already failed twice. Get in that car. Just totally <laughs> ignoring her concerns. I think this is a I think this is a theme that we that you'll see in a lot of teen driven shows. Just awful, awful teachers. Just the schools yes. hire the worst teachers to watch over and I just I really I really hope that at some point in this series we get a teacher other than Giles who actually like cares about the students. That that, that would, would be, be nice. great. Yeah. That would be really nice. Yeah. Um so Cordelia gets out of the car in a, in a daze and she almost gets totaled by a truck on the road. And thank God Buffy's there. Uh, she pushes her out of the way. And as she gets up, we see that her eyes are white and that she is completely blind, which is wild. Ooh, it's very, very wild. So we go to the to the library and Giles is also saying, this is wild. And he says, you know, this is witchcraft because blinding and disabling and disorienting is basically classic witch work, apparently. <laughs> apparently that's what all witches are up to. So they deduce that it is a witch that is behind this these, these accidents. And Xander says my favorite quote of the episode where he says, first vampires and now witches? No wonder you can still afford a house in Sunnydale. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and I love... Real estate joke. I love what Willow says, which, you know, they ask, like, why would somebody do this to Cordelia? And Willow, without skipping a beat, says, maybe because they met her. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. That's sass. Willow. You guys are on fire today. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. Both of, them, both of them. Really great lines. So so they now they know someone, a witch, very likely is targeting cheerleaders. And they immediately jump to Amy, probably because, you know, she was introduced at the beginning of the episode so that's very convenient so amy uh, wants to be a cheerleader more than any of the other girls because the pressure that her mother puts on her and i want to pause here and kind of bring up that i don't know if we've even mentioned this before because we were so caught up in the pilot and introducing the world to everybody and to the listeners that buffy is very much following the high school is hell mantra where Everything that a normal teenager might face in high school is just elevated for the source material. So in this case, you know, having a parent put pressure on you to be perfect is a very normal human teenager experience. But because it's Buffy, we see that it it, it turns out to be witchcraft. Like they they twist it so that it's a witch. Exactly. It's the, the natural, unfortunately negative aspects of high school are transformed and twisted into the supernatural and and that's really there's a long tradition of that happening in horror as a genre right like the horror genre is all about exploring our discomfort with the darker sides of humanity by taking what we admit are parts of being a human like some people's urge to commit violence or kill and writing those on to supernatural creatures that we can call the other. You know, look at a movie which came out after Buffy called Ginger Snaps. Have you seen Ginger Snaps? I have, yes. Yeah, and it's it's about two teenage girls. And it's this whole metaphor for going through puberty as a woman, uh, and especially menstruation, 
through the lens of werewolf horror. And it's so well done. So I I completely agree. That's a great point that you've made, which is that Buffy and the whole high, uh, high school is hell metaphor is using a supernatural lens to explore, you know, growing up and coming of age. And that doesn't change for the whole series. No, it's just like, it's like these students, these characters are going through everything that you and I, that anyone goes through as a teenager, except they're on a hell mouth. So that's, that's the elevation. The, they start, they're like, let's go check out all the books on witchcraft. And once, I just want to point out that like, I don't know how many high school libraries out there have a a section on the occult. (laughs) But I wish my high school did because, you know, there's nothing I love more. And the re- like listeners should know there's nothing I love more than a witch. Like, I love witch stories. I love witch things. So the fact that they could just check out books on witch in their high school library is hilarious to me. But too bad for them. They're all checked out. Turns out Xander checked out all those books before. And this is the weirdest joke of the episode where... He 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 apparently checked them out so that he could look at the nude pictures inside them and jack off, I guess. And it's like the weirdest joke. I don't know if it's a weird joke. I think it's, again, the show is just being so unsubtle about, hi, I'm Xander. I'm a per- pervy teenage boy. Like, it's an unnecessary joke. And it's just increasing my discomfort. I'm also even more uncomfortable as well because looking at old pagan images in witches' books and getting turned on by them is like freaky deaky. Like it's just like it's a side of Xander. Right, but this is before you had like easy access to the internet in your bedroom, right? So this is what this is what teenage boys in the '90s apparently had to do, Steph. I, I would like someone to track that. Somebody, if you were a teenage boy in the '90s. Did you look at which books <laughs> to get turned on, or did you just buy a porno mag? <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, so so Giles has his own witch books, as we all know. He's got books on everything. And he says that to find out if Amy is a witch, they're going to need some of her hair and mercury and nitric acid, uh, which are conveniently found in the school science lab, which is great. Can we have a um, and... can we have a chemist write in, please, and <laughs> tell us what would happen if you mixed mercury and nitric acid? Like, is that obviously don't try this at home, listeners? But no. would that actually cause any kind of chemical reaction, or would it? Well, just yeah, be it would. It would turn a witch's skin blue <laughs> if she casted a spell <laughs> in the past forty eight hours. That's what Giles explained. That I don't know, Kara, what more you want? <laughs> like that's. <laughs> It's pretty legit to me. And also the fact that the school would just have mercury <laughs> lying around. But anyway, um, he also adds in a little joke. Giles adds in it. I don't know. I don't know if this is a joke or not. Is it a joke? He says, we also need Eye of Newt. And obviously Eye of Newt is a, like a classic witch's brew kind of ingredient to say. But I couldn't yep. tell if he was kidding or if he was being serious. Well, it was it it was a joke, but they do actually put Eye, Eye of Newt in the potion that they make. Okay, well, then it was serious. So... They're making a potion. They're making a witch's brew. And uh, they're in science class, which was conveniently the next period (laughs) after that conversation. And um, Willow is making the brew. Her and Xander are at the same table. And we notice that, like, Willow just comfortably makes, is is obviously a very smart woman. And she's very comfortable in doing science stuff. So I'm sure that translates to witchcraft. So this is the first time we're seeing her make something witchy, which which we should keep our eye on. 
Buffy is tasked with going up to Amy and collecting hair from the brush in her bag. And she is the least stealthy person when she does this. (laughs) Like, could not be more obvious. But she gets it. And she applies it. They apply it to the concoction. And once again, it's up to Buffy to spill it naturally on Amy's body. And if it turns blue, then they'll know that she casted a spell in the last 48 hours. Uh, And once again... Buffy has to make it look natural that she is spilling this potion onto Amy and she makes it look like the most unnatural thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, Also, doesn't it have mercury in it? Like, it's not good to be poured on people. Regardless, the liquid turns blue. But before we can react to this, the girl next to them, at the table next to them, starts freaking out. And it's because her mouth has been what looks like glued shut. Like, it looks like there's no more mouth. It's just like a big... Mm -hmm plain area and which is actually very freaky very scary so the trio goes out into the hallway and they're wondering if amy because obviously the she the liquid turned blue so she's a witch and she obviously did a spell recently so they, they wonder if amy even knows that she's doing it because they know amy from before and she seems like a very sweet person but we follow amy into her spooky house and we see she goes inside and who a woman who we assume is her mom who's beautiful by the way, is watching TV. And uh, she kind of like talks down to her mother and she's just like, like, what are you doing all day? And I've, I have a history report, like do it for me. And her mom looks terrified of her. And uh, Amy starts to reveal a bit of her evil plot. They always love to talk about the evil plot. <laughs> these these villains, these demons in uh, in Buffy just cannot stop themselves <laughs> from revealing their plan. <laughs> so I love this scene. Because up until now, all we've heard about Amy's mom is that she's this terrible, controlling, manipulative, abusive parent with these really unrealistic expectations. And then what we actually see is so different. So it's like, okay, who was, was there a lie going on here? And I have to give credit to the actor who portrays Amy, Elizabeth Ann Allen. She's so good with this whole like tone switch where at school she's just mousy and uncoordinated and unsure of herself. And then she comes home and suddenly it's like, whoa, like, who are you? You're bossy, you're in control, you're confident, and actually like does a really good evil face. Resting witch face. (laughs) She's got a resting witch face. And uh, she knows that Buffy took her hair, uh, but... Haha, she took Buffy's bracelet <laughs> and was much more stealthy about such, it than Buffy ever could be. I feel like that's such a loss for Buffy, right? Like to lose that bracelet that was so important to her. Like, are her and Xander broken up now, now that she no longer has the bracelet? <laughs> uh, I have to say, though, like, honestly, I think when I was younger, this scene is probably like one of the scariest types of scenes for me in a TV show when the when the heroes screw up and reveal themselves to the villain and the villain is now in a position of like oh i know what they did what they tried to do and i'm gonna get back at them and I have like the upper hand. yeah you feel that peril like it's like oh my god this witch is gunning for buffy and she has yeah. no idea that amy's on to her she has no idea and to be honest she kind of has it coming because she was so uncool <laughs> like spilling the potion on her and taking her hair like it was so obvious Buffy she'll have to work this is episode three she'll have time to work on her her sneakiness so then it's the next day 
And Buffy uh, wakes up and she goes downstairs and she is high. Like she is hyper as fuck. And she's singing macho, macho man. And uh, her mom's there and she's making brekkie. And she's just so hyper. Like Buffy's super, super hyper. Like it's like she got up and did a bunch of E and then came downstairs and her mom doesn't seem to notice. So I think there's a pattern here with Buffy's mom where she just doesn't seem to notice these things. Um, She doesn't even notice when Buffy literally says to her, I'm a vampire slayer. She's just like, are you okay? Like what? Like she That's doesn't nice, even dear. Like, register. Yeah, again, <laughs> nice. it's it's this season of Buffy's mom is she's oblivious when she needs to be and she's concerned when she needs to be. Her characterization is all over the place. This is the third episode. We got we got room to grow. So we're going to cheerleading practice because obviously now that Cordelia and that other girl are out, Buffy is in. So she is manic. She is doing this cheerleading routine with the other girls there. She is turned up. She is just just wild. And she's so excitable when Willow and Xander enter the gym. Even they can see right away that she's like out to lunch. Uh, she ends up throwing this one girl across the gym by accident. Um, so naturally, the head cheerleader kicks her off the team. And who's waiting right there? Amy. And she's like, Amy, you're on the team. And Buffy gets taken out to outside to the hallway by Xander and Willow. And she is acting drunk now. And she's just like talking about to Xander, like how much she loves him. Uh, but I really love this because then she's like, do you know why I love you? Because you're one of the girls. And she basically friend zones Xander the way Xander friend-zoned Willow earlier in the episode. And yeah. it's just chef's kiss, mwah, like justice. Like, I, I, I okay, love Okay, but, okay, we need to talk about friend-zoning here. And how, okay. first off, I hate the term friend-zoning. It's a bogus term because it implies that friendship is less than having romantic relationships, which is bullshit. Uh, if anything, friendship is better. But our society prioritizes romance over friendship, and I hate it. So... It also bothers me because coming back to this idea of like sex- sexual harassment and power dynamics and consent, you know, it's typically the guy complaining that he's being friend zoned by this girl that he uh, wants to date. And dude, like the friend zone isn't a bad place to be. It means that she trusts you and she wants to have a, a real and authentic relationship with you. And maybe it's not the type of relationship you were looking for. But that's mm-hmm. just because our society is telling you that you should just be a sex maniac horn dog who only cares about <laughs> having sex with girls and not actually recognizing them for their brains or their interests or what they're good at. Yeah. So friend zoning to me is a very toxic concept, even though you're totally right. Like that's what's going on here with Xander and Willow and then Buffy and Xander. Um, but it just it also just makes me so uncomfortable that this is how the show chooses to set up this dynamic. And I know it's because it's the late 90s and stuff, but I'm just so happy that TV these days is gradually starting to move beyond this whole, okay, we're going to have a trio that's two two girls and a guy, and the guy's going to have a... Tr- it's going to be like this weird love triangle attraction thing where the guy's crushing on one girl, the other girl's crushing on him, there's friend zoning going on. It just, it makes me really uncomfortable as somebody who grew up as, you know, thinking I was a man, but spending all of my time with girls and being treated like an honorary girl, right? And then eventually realizing, mm-hmm. well, actually, I, I'm not just wanting to be one of the girls, I am one of the girls. 
but it's like our society has these really strange and toxic notions about gender and how your gender dictates who you are capable of being friends with especially mm-hmm. at certain ages so oh sorry to go off on a tangent there but i just kind of like wanted to register my displeasure no i i agree and there is absolutely nothing wrong like i think xander should be over the moon that buffy wants to be his friend yeah and that he and then he can, has good things to offer her within the friend zone you know which can be a great place to be like you said and mm-hmm. willow obviously has more than enough things to provide to a friendship for will for xander as well and like xander are you forgetting that your best friend jesse was murdered and turned into a vampire probably the day like the week before like you don't have a lot of friends to choose from at the moment so stop expecting more of buffy don't be upset that she says you're one of the girls that's a great thing to be right that's like you said you're you're a confidant so buffy faints like right that's when buffy starts fainting in the hallway they bring her to the library giles is like oh well this is a bloodstone vengeance spell ah yes like Like you see those all the time obviously that's what it is duh um (laughs) he says it hits the body like alcohol which is what we just witnessed um and then it eradicates the immune system so amy is actually trying to kill buffy especially now that she knows that Buffy knows who she is, that she's a witch. Giles says they have a few hours before Buffy dies. So this is serious shit. Like, Giles needs to get Amy's spell book, or they can cut off her head. That's the only two ways to reverse a spell. Um, But Buffy doesn't want to murder her. Um, Just basically understanding that, like, she became a witch to survive her mother, to survive uh, the pressure that her mother put on her. And, um... I don't know. Like, honestly, Buffy, uh, there are a lot of people that have a bad home life. And there are a lot of people that have a lot of baggage from their childhood. They don't go around murdering people, especially you. <laughs> so I don't know why she's got to be such a martyr here. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's nice to see the sympathy. Okay. But think about it this way. This is yeah. perhaps the first example of Buffy's... One of Buffy's prime directives as the Slayer, which is we don't kill humans. Mm, true. Um, and I agree with that. No one should kill a human. <laughs> I'm with her on that. I I think my point is just that, like, she's so forgiving. Like, Giles just told her, Buffy, you got a couple hours to live. And she's just like, poor Amy. <laughs> so, well, she's also under the influence. I don't think she's really cognizant. That's true she's she's uh drunk on this uh on this bloodstone vengeance spell um so they agree buffy and giles are going to go to amy's house to get the book xander and willow are going to keep an eye on amy who is now in the gym practicing for the upcoming game tonight so giles drives buffy to amy's house teacher Mm -hmm. driving a student somewhere totally inappropriate and can (laughs) you imagine if somebody saw giles stuffing what looks like a drugged teenage girl into the passenger seat of his car. Well, the same people would have seen him feeling her up at the bronze a couple weeks ago. Like I just, I want there to be like one kid in the school who's just like constantly seeing this and like trying to report it, but nobody believes them. Oh, like like starting like a gossip girl t- text chain to say like you know just spotted the librarian and that new girl Buffy once again 
being inappropriately close and weird together <laughs> on yeah. school grounds. Very inappropriate. You're right. But how else is he going to get her to Amy's house <laughs> besides driving oh. her in his car? Yeah. So they get to Amy's house. And her mother answers the door and she's really jumpy and nervous that they're there. I don't blame her because Giles goes off on her and is like, like he's pissed. Like he's like, you know, because of what your daughter's doing, like and the pressure you put on her for cheerleading, like, goddamn you. Like he's, he's like mad. And I think we see if we really think about it, like this is someone is threat threatening Buffy. And he's mm-hmm. not having this shit, you know? Like, he's upset about this. And we and haven't this seen be... this before. This is a new side no. of Giles. No, this might be the first time that we actually see Giles give a genuine shit about Buffy's well-being. Because before, in the last two episodes, Buffy's like, I'm going to go do this thing. And he's just like, off you go. Like, do I need to wish you good well, luck? See ya. Yeah, it's really sort of diffusing the risk of just sliding into this dynamic of snarky British librarian and teenage girl right like especially just think about the end of the harvest where he says oh the earth is doomed because they're acting all shallow like if that were the only dynamic between them it would be very shallow and very unfulfilling so getting to see this different side of giles where like you said he's acting very protective of her it's Mm -hmm. lovely like it shows us that giles is this force to be reckoned with when he's pushed too far and he's very genuine in his care for buffy not just in her actual like physical care because she's ill and has a spell on her, but like he, he's like, like I just it's, I think this is a really nice way to show that character developing already in a, in episode three mm-hmm. from what we saw before. So he's telling Amy's mom off. She doesn't. She's kind of like stumbling over her words, but she does say, "I don't even care about cheerleading." Which is so interesting, and Buffy picks up on that because before it sounded like all Amy's mom cared about was cheerleading and high school. So Buffy kind of figures it out and she's like, are you Amy? And it turns out that Amy's mom switched their bodies to relive her glory days, to relive her teenage days in Amy's body. And Amy, Amy's mom, but now we know that it's Amy inside Amy's mom's body. Her name is Catherine. Catherine, okay, Catherine the Great. So Amy says something that is actually this, like so scary. I got chills. And I remember the first time I watched this episode, this actually scared me. But now, like, I actually, once again, watching it again, I was like, oh, that's so creepy. She says it. She delivers this line. And she's like, my mother said I was wasting my youth. So she took it. And I'm like, oh, that is so terrifying. That's it's so scary. It's very much a Disney idea, right? Like evil stepmother. Yes. Like, this could be a Disney story. Evil stepmother comes and, like, takes the youth away from her daughter. Sucks the, like, uh, like the Sanderson sisters in Hocus Pocus. She's like, like I want your exactly. I want your youth. Um, and I do want to say that, okay, have you ever heard of Wanda Holloway? No. So, in 1991, Wanda Holloway was charged because she ch- she hired a hitman to kill her daughter's rival on the cheerleading team. Whoa. So this was at the beginning of the 90s. And I think this kind of propelled everybody into this whole, I don't know when the cheerleading stereotype began, but I know there was a frenzy for it in the 90s because of this real life true crime story. So I just find it so interesting how like this show kind of like enveloped that 
like they got into that headspace and they brought cheerleading into it, which is, you know, the pop culture aspect of the 90s. But also this, like, like you said, this very Disney, this very classic, this very fairy tale trope of older women seeking out their youth and seeking out when they used to be beautiful, when they used to be popular, like, like, like that mattered the most to them. And that's all that mattered to these females. Mm-hmm. So this is what made me go, ooh, about this episode. Yeah, because... well, it, it's such a brilliant twist. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about the toxic presence of parents in high school sports. And what is more toxic than taking over from your kid <laughs> because she's not doing a good enough job? Yeah, she's like you're 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 wasting your youth. So she took it. Oh, that's it gives me chills. I think that's such a brilliant delivery of that line, and uh, it just shows that like this is this is bad. Like her mother is really powerful and really awful, and will stop at nothing. And uh, also, I want to add, when did that switch happen? Was it at the right, beginning so, of the episode? Yeah, I was gonna ask this because it's very unclear to me if. Catherine is inhabiting Amy's body at the beginning of the episode. Why is she spending so much time uh, pretending that she's worried that her mom is going to be upset with her for not making the team? Why wouldn't she just be a bit more sullen and withdrawn being like, oh, I didn't make the team and fuming? However, I think there's also strong evidence that Catherine is in Amy's body near the beginning of the episode because she's talking up Catherine to Buffy during that scene at the beginning where they're looking at the trophies and stuff. And when you're first watching and you don't know that this twist is there, it just kind of sounds like a daughter who's kind of drank her mom's Kool-Aid. But it also, in hindsight, sounds like Catherine is talking about herself. So I'm really torn on this. I would love for listeners to write in and tell us, do you think that Catherine was possessing Amy's body from the beginning of the episode? Or do you think there's a point where there's a switch? Yeah, I would love to know what people think. In my opinion, I think it was Amy in her own body at the beginning. And okay. I think that um, right when she doesn't make the team, when she's an alternate, that's okay. when her mother possessed her. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> we get a little bit more of a background on Amy and Amy says her parents split up and her mother basically would target Amy for abuse after that happened. And she's not allowed to talk to her father. And this is some serious trauma. Yeah. And Buffy, bless her soul, Buffy, who has literally two hours to live, <laughs> is like holding her hand and listening to her. And I'm like, this is so nice i mean i mean obviously once again is the bar that low that like listening to someone talk about the trauma is nice but i'm just saying like the stakes are high right now and uh they're like buffy is there for amy like you can tell buffy from the very beginning cared about amy's well-being and she still does um he gets a book they leave they go to the school um at the school it's a basketball game and the cheerleaders are just doing their dance and they're killing it and xander will are there in the audience watching amy's mom perform in amy's body giles buffy and uh amy they go into the science lab and giles lays buffy on a table and he says they have literally a few minutes left so this is why i'm like maybe you shouldn't have listened to amy's cry story maybe you should just like you know gotten to the lab talk about it in the car amy giles begins making this spell and it's a lot of cutting back and forth from the lab to the gym Mm-hmm. And uh, as he's working on the spell, we see that Amy's mom, while she's doing her routine, 
is starting to notice that the spell is reversing. When she finally realizes what's going on, she gets a really super intense, scary face and starts running toward the science lab. Willow and Xander try to get in her way, uh, but she does like a Darth Vader strangle on Xander's throat and punches Willow in the face and leaves them in the hallway. So Giles is almost done all of his incantations and there's like this thing of boiling water and Giles sticks his hands into the boiling water. I know. And this is why I don't fuck with witchcraft. This is why like it's 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 so intense and so interesting because like you have to do these things. Everyone knows <laughs> that when you're a witch, you have to give a little to get a little. So Giles burns his hands off and um the the spell is lifted. But while this is happening, Amy's mom is outside and she grabs an axe from the hallway which I don't think would exist in a high school. I don't know. Maybe in the 90s um, Yeah, I think it's a fire axe, right? So the whole idea yes. is that if you need to cut your way out, you can. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's unrealistic. Okay. Well, she's, she's axing down that door. And just as she comes in and she's about to chop Buffy in half, the spell reverses and Amy is back in her body holding the axe, looking really scared and confused. And Buffy sits up and then <laughs> her mom attacks Buffy from the side. And at the same time, Giles gets knocked over and knocked unconscious. Amy's mom gets the axe back from Amy and she's basically like, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take care of you. And Buffy pops up behind her and says, like, guess what? I feel better. And they start fighting. <laughs> I love it. Which is such a great line. So at one point, Amy's mom starts saying a spell and her eyes go pitch black and it's really cool looking and really really crazy and really freaky and um she's pointing the spell at buffy she's like i'm gonna put you somewhere where no one will ever find you or where you can't get in the way and she points it at buffy but buffy kicks down this mirror that's in the ceiling i don't understand this part (laughs) but she kicks it down and the spell hits the mirror and flies right back at the mom and it enwraps her in like this these light and then she disappears which, good instincts, Buffy. Excellent instincts. Great that that science lab had the mirror up there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots of great things happened for that to be pulled off correctly. Uh, so it's either later that night or the next day, and Buffy and her mom are in her room. And um, they're talking about how they relate to each other. And Buffy's mom is 100% honest. And just is like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't get you. And she's basically just saying, I don't know how to raise a teenager like you. And I I don't know what I'm doing. Buffy asks her mom if she would ever be 16 again. And I love Buffy's mom for this. And she says no. Uh, And I agree. I was going to ask, would you be 16 again, Steph? Oh, never. Oh, my God. No, I don't think I'd ever go back before 25. There's no way. Okay. (laughs) It's such a weird time to want to go back and be. Like, such an un... An awkward, no autonomy, no power. <laughs> Would you? If it meant I could go through puberty as a girl, yes. Okay. Well, that's different. <laughs> that's a very different different experience for you to have, right? But yeah. what if you had to go back and have the experience you already had. No, that would, there's no point of that. But yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I think I just have a lot of feelings about like growing up and changing and evolving. So to want to go back to a time before all that is very strange to me. Yes. 
but I, I think that's why the scene stands out, right? Because it, it offers that very interesting question. And I, I, I do wonder how many people would say, yes, I would go back to 16 and do it all again. Um, well, I think there's a segment of people, especially in terms of the way American culture portrays it, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, there are people who think of high school as the greatest years of their lives. And there are people who peaked in high school. <laughs> and so th- this this episode is highlighting what happens when those people become parents. And if they allow their dissatisfaction with their life after high school to poison their relationship with their children. And if they also happen to learn witchcraft, then that can be an unfortunate combination of events. I think they're making a point where it's like you have the one mother who is very hungry to relive her youth and Mm -hmm. to the point where she literally did the unthinkable to get Mm -hmm. it. And then we have another mom who could care less about that. I think the point is that the woman who who was idolizing their teenage years is a little deranged and a witch, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whereas Buffy's mom is not. So, yeah, I mean, make with that as you will. And, uh, I, you know, I would never want to mm-hmm. um bash somebody who would want to go back and be 16 again but i want to know why so if that's mm-hmm. how you feel like please let me know like tell me i'm rude like tell me i'm wrong <laughs> um but that's that's honestly how i feel uh so anyway i think that's a nice little conversation a little more understanding between buffy and her mother amy and buffy are walking down the hallways at school and amy's actually it's cute like she's very super excited about living with her dad now And you can tell she's very happy. This is a much better situation for her, obviously, because the abuse is gone. Cordelia walks by with the cheerleading team, gloats that she's on the team and they're not. Um, A little back and forth. Amy's actually very snarky. And she says, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you mean I can't shout out numbers anymore? Like, oh, no. And uh, I love Cordelia because she's just like, "Um, oh, these grapes are sour, (laughs) which is such a good line. But then they're back at the trophy case and they're looking at it and all the pictures of Catherine the Great. And they haven't seen her. They don't know where she went, where that spell took her. But uh, as we zoom in on the cheerleading trophy's face, we see that there are little eyes moving back and forth. So creepy. And it's very creepy. And now we can you know, assume from that shot that her mother is inside the trophy. Yeah, it's such a memorable shot. Like that. That is what I remember about this episode. Okay, so... Who's your hero? My hero this episode is Buffy because she's just a really good friend and she didn't judge Mm -hmm. Amy for, even when she thought Amy was the one making these witchy moves. Yeah, she she wanted to help her. She didn't judge her for it. Yeah. She's not judging her for her worst, poorest choices. She actually just listened to her, listened to her story about her parents breaking up. She has empathy for Amy becoming a witch in order to survive her mother's abuse when she was literally two hours away from dying herself. So I think that just makes Buffy a really good friend. (laughs) She's a good hero. Yeah. My hero of the episode is going to be Giles. Oh. He kicks ass in this episode, right? From the research to the way that he takes charge when Buffy's under the Bloodstone Vengeance spell. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) at one point, so after everything's dying down in the science lab and Xander and Willow come in and they kind of like help Giles up and stuff, like he he doesn't want to take too much credit and he's like oh you know it was i just got lucky it was my first time doing a spell i want to call bullshit on that because he just he, (laughs) he seemed to know what he was doing he called on those dark powers very confidently 
This yeah. is not your first rodeo with magic, okay? So yeah. you're not fooling everything, anyone, Giles. Yeah, for everything he did in this episode, for the way he talked to Amy's mom when we thought that it was Amy's mom and not actually Amy and Amy's mom's body, like Giles is my hero for this episode. This was his the first time we've really seen him shining instead of being a British stereotype, and I love it. Yeah, that's such a good that's such a good choice. So was it now that we've talked it through, do you do you still feel like it wasn't uh the episode for you? Great question. Because talking through it with you, I actually feel fonder of this episode again. I still think it's cringy. But <laughs> yes. like I said at the beginning, I really appreciate the structure of this episode. That twist near the end with the identity, mm-hmm. the body switching, mm-hmm. such a good twist. Like this is a well written episode. I just, I really don't like the creepy male gazy Xander stuff. <laughs> and no, no one does. <laughs> yeah, it just, it, it's something I wish I could just kind of extract from the episode and throw it away and then just have the rest of this episode because I love the idea of the story here, but the execution in that sense is lacking for me. Yeah, I, I will, I'll always love a good witch story. <laughs> and, uh, Here's hoping we get more of them in this series, right? I hope so. I hope we get to see a little bit more, you know, magic (laughs) of this sort. That'd be really cool. I guess we'll have to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you've got some comments, message us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week. Bye.